Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us for today's podcast. This is the first lesson of a new four-part series titled, The End Times. If you've ever wondered about this much-discussed event, we're sure you'll want to listen very closely to all four parts of the series. Here now is lead pastor David Fossil as he begins our series with a look at the return of Christ and an overview of The End Times. Go ahead and take your study guide that's in your program, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, that's on page 701, if you grabbed a Bible on the back table, uh, 701. We are starting a brand new series today for three, four weeks on the end times. I'm sure you've noticed in pop culture that it seems to be a very popular topic in magazines and in, and, um, in books and in movies. There was just a couple months ago that movie 2012 about the end of the world predicted by the Mayan calendar and you've got movies about asteroids hitting the earth and you've got movies about, you know, you know, a cold something coming over the earth and killing all mankind and it's just a popular subject matter, this issue of end times. Well, what I'd like to do is talk to you about what the Bible has to say about the end times. Do you know that one out of every 30 verses in the Bible, one out of 30, uh, are on the subject of the end times? So it's a fairly important and fairly significant topic. Now, one of the things that I noticed in church is that when, I, when we talk about topic of end times, there are three distinct camps or perspectives on, on this theme, on this topic. The first perspective is, have you ever met someone who's crazy into the end times? You met people like this? I mean, they love talking about it, and they, they love talking about the mark of the beast, and, you know, Armageddon, and 666, and the Antichrist. Who's the, who's the Antichrist? You know, could it be the Pope? Could it be the President? Could it be Osama bin Laden? Could it be Al Davis? Who is it? Who's the Antichrist, right? And they just love to talk about it, right? And they always, every time you, I have a family member like this, every time you bump into them, they always have some new theory or some new something they've heard, like, you know, you know in the end times there's going to be one world economy and the only way you're going to be able to buy stuff is if you have this certain mark or certain something have you heard there's a new computer chip that they could put underneath your wrist and it can be like a like a credit card you know you're not going to even be able to shop at walmart without this little chip the mark of the beast you know and they go on and on and they have you know don't watch msnbc because they they're evil and they're sending hypnotic waves that are trying to hypnotize you and you're like where are you coming up with this stuff okay so that's group number one right they're just crazy into the end times they love to talk about it group number two almost don't want to talk about it at all and they don't want to talk about it primarily because they don't understand it. It's just so doggone confusing. I don't have a clue what's going on. And Dave, I tried to read the book of Revelation once. And there's some dragon running around. And then there's four horses running and racing. I don't know what they're doing, you know. And then there's a millennium, you know, some thousand-year reign. And I, I thought I understood that. And then I bumped into someone that was telling me, well, yeah, that there's a thousand-year reign. But you, you need to understand, is it going to be pre-millennial? You know, Jesus is going to come back before the millennium? Or is it going to be 
post-millennial, he's going to come back after the millennial, or the Presbyterians, they think it's amillennial, it's happening right now, and you're like, I don't, I don't know, I, I'm more pan-millennial, it's going to pan out in the end, you know, I don't have a clue what's going to happen, you know, and it, we're just all confused, so you've got the people who are super into it, the people who are just kind of confused by it, and I, I don't know what to believe, and then there's the third group, okay, how many of you either grew up in a, in a Baptist-like church, or have been in church for the last 15, 20 years, can I see your hands? Okay, we have recovery groups for you Baptists, and we'll, we'll talk to, about that later. I'm a Baptist too, that's all right. Now, see, the thing is, is that 20 years ago, if you went to a Baptist kind of church, you know what I'm talking about. We went crazy with this end times thing. Did anyone, has anyone ever heard or watched the movie A Thief in the Night? Anyone? Yeah, a lot, yeah I see that hand. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. It was a movie about the rapture, okay? The rapture is a term that is used uh, to talk about, about Jesus all of a sudden showing up and bam, taking all the Christians out, away and out of the earth and then leaving everyone else to kind of fend for themselves, you know? And so the, the Christians, oh, they made a movie about this and it's a really kind of freaky movie. I actually found the opening scene from the thief, A Thief in the Night. We're gonna watch it. I know it's gonna bring flashbacks for all of you or some of you. Let's watch it and then we'll talk. I bet you can't wait to download the rest of the movie. It's so cool, right? He's a Christian. She's not. He gets up in the morning. He starts shaving. Bam! Jesus comes back. He's gone. She's left. So cool, right? We actually used to show this movie to youth groups, right? There was always one kid that wasn't saved. See, see that's what's going to happen to you. You better save, you know? And they would never believe, you know, but we would show the movie anyway. Honestly, I'm glad those days are over with, right? Here's what I'm going to try and do for the next three, four weeks. I just want to give you a balanced perspective on what the Bible says about this subject matter. The Bible says you should understand at least part of what's going on. And I'm intentionally going to kind of tone down the energy because I don't, I don't want to get... It's all riled up, and I'm not going to, you know, come up with predictions and charts about when he's going to come back. He's coming back this summer or whatever, you know. We're not going to do that, right? We're just going to keep it balanced, but we're going to talk about what the Bible has to say about the end times. Now, the Bible talks that the first event happening really in the last period that we know as the end times is the second coming of Christ, which the Bible clearly teaches, sometimes refers to it as the day of the Lord. Four things, overview you need to know about the day of the Lord. First page in your study guide, you might want to jot it down. The first is that it's it's secret. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen. Chapter 24, verse 36. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the son but only the father okay now i find it interesting i can understand that the angels don't know i think it's interesting that not even jesus knows don't you find that interesting not even jesus knows only god the father Uh, i actually have a book on my shelf i was going to bring it this morning i just forgot it's entitled 50 remarkable events pointing to and then in big bold capital letters the end and then right underneath the, t- the subject, it says this. Why Jesus will return in the year 2000. You can actually buy this book on eBay for like a penny right now, because that's about what it's worth, right? And now anytime a book, an author, a pastor starts predicting when Jesus is going to come back, I'm just telling you, don't believe them. Don't, the, no one knows, just God the Father. Now, we can maybe understand a period of time or we're in a particular, maybe that. But when they start coming up with dates, just don't believe them, okay? Second thing you need to know, I don't know how else to say this. It's going to be a day of selection. That's the best way I know how to explain it. Look at verse 40. 
Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grounding at the handmill, one will be taken, the other will be left. Now, a couple things. It seems from these verses it's going to be a normal day. It's, it's not like Fox News is going to announce, hey, the, the end of the world is coming next Wednesday, and then we all go crazy for a week, right? No, it's just going to be a normal day, and two people are going to be working at the construction site, and two people are going to be in line at Starbucks, and two, two, two students are going to be sitting next to each other in class, and all of a sudden... One is going to be taken to be with the Lord, and the other will be left in these different scenarios. Another thing I want to point out to you is that notice it does not say, okay, when Jesus comes back, everybody that is in church, boom, he's going to sweep all of them up and take them, right? And everybody that's at the casino, too bad you don't make it. He didn't say that, right? They're both doing the same things. So some people at church he'll take, and some people he won't take. Some people in line at Starbucks he'll take, and some he won't. Some in that classroom he'll take, some he won't. And on and on and on. The guy with the phone, he's not going to take him. For sure, you're not going. (laughs) That was perfect. That was Ken Niles, head usher. Good job, Ken. Okay? The point is not the location you're in. The point is the condition of your heart. That's what's going to get determined if you get taken or not. That's that's the point that it's trying to make. The next thing you need to know is that we're going to be surprised. We're actually going to be surprised what, when it happens. Verse 42, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of a house had known what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not have his house be broken into. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So for four weeks, we're going to have this series on the end times. You know, you can study the book of Revelation. You can graph everything out. We're going to look at signs today of when he's going to come. We can do all those things, and still, it's going to catch some of us by surprise. Still, some of us are going to be caught off guard. That's what it's saying about here. I actually have one more video I want you to watch. It was about a youth pastor teaching his youth group about what this might look like in terms of being surprised and such. I want you to watch it. It's short. We'll talk. Okay. Yeah. I just want to point out to you that the guy that got left behind was sleeping in church. I'm just trying to help you out. I'm trying to be there. <laughs> last thing I want to point out, I thought that was pretty hilarious, whoever that was. The last thing, look at chapter 24, verse 1. Look at the chapter heading. Look at the heading. Point is we would be wise to consider and look at the signs. That's what this whole chapter is about, the signs of the end. Okay. Now, what I want to do is I want to try and break some of these down for you, okay, and help you understand some of the signs. If you notice on the back side of your study guide, it's blank. It's not because I don't know what I'm going to talk about for the next 10 minutes, 15 minutes. It's because there are so many. I'm going to let you write down whatever you want or not, okay? Let me give you a couple things that, that the Bible says is going to happen in the end times. One is deception and denial that is going to occur within the church. Verse 4, Jesus answered. He's answering the question from the disciples, when are you going to come back? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, as in the disciples, the church. Verse 10, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. In the end times, more and more people will be less and less interested in God, church, or anything to do with Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Additionally, people will be deceived and go down the wrong path. Now, I got to tell you, in the rest of the world, uh, especially in places in Africa and South America, there's a spiritual revival going on right now. I mean, it is incredible. However, there are Bible students that look at this 
passage right here and these verses and say, while the rest of the world may be, or parts of the world be experiencing revival, North America is experiencing this right here, right now. And you say, well, we're not being deceived. What's going on, right? Well, the problem is we use more politically correct terms, like being tolerant and accepting of everyone. Now, if, if we, uh, when we use those phrases, being accepting, if we talk about accepting people for who they are and loving them as Jesus would love them, the Bible is all for that. God is all for that. If, however, by that term we mean accepting everyone's viewpoint and accepting one, what everyone thinks as equally valid and equally true, I'm telling you, the Bible doesn't agree with that one bit. One bit. I'm going to give you some concerning statistics. When I give them to you, some of you are going to be a little bit upset at me because some of you may actually believe what I'm going to tell you. Um, 53% of Americans, half of Americans, believe that if you're a good person, you're going to go to heaven. The problem is that this book doesn't say that at all. This book says that there's no one that's good enough. No one. No one's good enough. Not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham. No one's good enough. We all fall short of God's standard. We all fall short of his goodness. That's the whole point of Jesus coming. That's the whole Easter story. No one's good enough. So half of America has got it wrong. I got some more concerning statistics, though. 43% of born-again Christians, that's basically us. That's the term that most people use to call us, born-again Christians. 43% of born-again Christians believe that world religions all pretty much teach the same thing. Now, I got to tell you, that is a statement made in ignorance. I'm not saying you're ignorant if you believe that. I'm saying that's a statement made in ignorance. Anytime I hear someone say that, here's what I automatically know. I automatically know they have not studied world religions. They really have not. They have not studied Hinduism. They have not studied Buddhism. They have not studied Islam in comparison to Christianity. They haven't done it. Because they couldn't be further from the truth. There is no way, no how that they teach the same thing. Not even close. Not even close. This last statistic just follows from this last one. It would make sense that then 57% of evangelicals, almost 6 out of 10, what's an evangelical? An evangelical is someone who believes that this book is the word of God. Again, I would think that that's most of us. 57% of evangelicals believe that many religions lead to eternal life. So my question is, if you believe that, what do you do with John 14, 6? Where Jesus says there's only one way you can get to heaven. There's only one way, and that's Jesus. Only one way. Not Allah, not Buddha, just one way. What do you do with, with Acts chapter 4, verse 12? There's no other name under which you'll be saved. None other than the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm just telling you what others and honestly what I think is happening right here. This is the purest form of what is happening right there, deception. Because what we have allowed is we have allowed untruth to creep into these four walls and what we think this book teaches or it doesn't. It's the purest form of deception. The Bible teaches that that God loves everybody. The Bible does not teach that everybody and everybody's thoughts and opinions are equally true. It doesn't teach that. It logically doesn't make sense. I could spend a lot more time here, but let's just move on. Verse 5, false prophets and false Christs are going to show up on the scene. For many will come in my name, verse 5, claiming, 
I am the Christ, and they will deceive many people. You can ask Joy or Brigitte or other people that work at the church. One of the things I do every once in a while at church, if you go down to our office facility a block away, there's got a lot of nooks and crannies and hallways and everything, and sometimes you're walking around, and you don't know someone's in the other room or something. So sometimes I hear someone walking, and I'll stop, and I'll hide, and they walk by, and I scare them. Ah! They don't think it's that funny. I think it's hilarious, right? But I do that every once in a while. So this one time, we had a former youth pastor. He was coming back from lunch. His name was Brian. And this was back when we didn't have glass doors in the front going into the church. So I heard him coming up. I heard him coming up. And uh, I'm hiding right behind the door, crouched. And he opens the door, and I jump up. Ah! And, and it, I mean, you talk about being fear in his face. The only problem is that it wasn't Brian Carlson. It was the mailman. And he was very concerned. <laughs> And was wondering, what kind of crazy church is this? You know, I'm like, um, oh, no, this is Bay Hills. Good to have you here. My name is Eric Eichner. And, uh, you know, <laughs> honestly, what I just explained to you is going to happen in the end times. You're going to think it's someone. It's not that someone at all. People are going to think it's Christ. It's not Christ at all. You think, some of you are thinking, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. How could someone think that? that someone else is the incarnation, reincarnation of Jesus Christ. That is one of the most foolish things I have ever heard about in my life. How could anyone believe that? Well, let's just look at the screen real quick. All those people have claimed that. These are pretty important, famous people. You've got Jim Jones, of course. He started in San Francisco and then led every lot of people to death. David Koresh. Michael, was that Michael Applewhite, the guy in Southern California, San Diego, the guy in the middle down at the bottom. Moses Giberoy on the bo- uh, bottom right side, the guy with the beard, came from the Ukraine, had a huge following in the 15s and 60s. The guy at the top right um, is a guy in Brazil. More people come to hear him talk on a Sunday morning than come to Bay Hills. His name is Inri Cristo, and he claims to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ. The guy in the middle, um, that's, the picture's a little washed out, he's a Japanese politician. His name is Mayatoshi Jesus. He has a huge following. His goal is to become prime minister of Japan and then convince the rest of the world that he really is Jesus Christ. The guy with the beard and a hat, he is Rabbi Menachem Mendel out of New York City. Has convinced hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Jews there that he's the Messiah. By the way, that's how they couch it sometimes. They don't say Jesus, they just say, I'm the Messiah. I'm really the one spoken of of, of, of the end times. Uh, By the way, Reverend Sun Young Moon has said the very same thing. You talk about a guy that has a following. The guy at the top left is a guy in Miami, Florida right now. His name is Jose Luis Miranda. And he has a huge following claiming, his, this one is even weirder. He claims to be, top left, he claims to be not only the reincarnation of Jesus, but the Antichrist, both in one at the very same time. He has a little sweater that he wears and has 666 on it. Now, Here's, did you know, since the year 1900, there are 1,100 people that have claimed to be the reincarnation of Jesus Christ or the Messiah? 1,100. What the, what the Bible says is that the end times, eventually someone who's not as whacked out as these people is going to show up and convince millions. Millions. You know why? Mark 13 tells us because they will have the power given to them by Satan to perform of fictitious miracles. And it will deceive all kinds of very normal, respectable people. This is one of the signs. And I'm just saying, you start looking at the newspaper, if you just Google people who claim or have claimed to be Jesus the Messiah, it's going to freak you out how many names come up. 
This is happening right now. Increased military conflict is another thing that's going to happen. Verse 6. Verse 6, you will hear of wars, rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. You say, well, there's always been wars. What's interesting is that if you're a history buff, and I love studying history, especially world history, we were told that World War I, and especially World War II, was the war to end all wars. That was it. There's going to be no more wars. By the way, it was the first world war. That's why they called it world war. And then the second world war, no more wars. But then you look at the rate of military conflict since then, and it's staggering. It's absolutely staggering. Since World War II, we have had 225 major armed military conflicts around the world. All you have to do is turn on CNN now. I mean, you do. All you have to do is turn on CNN, and you will hear, you will ha- hear this verse repeated over and over again. There's a new military conflict happening here and happening there. And then we have this modern phenomenon called genocide that has already happened in Rwanda, and it's happened in Bosnia, and it's happened in Sudan, and it's awful. And then you look at the Middle East and you say, it's never been worse. It's never been more incendiary than it is right now. Iran wants a nuclear weapon. They're trying to build it as best as we can tell. Israel has said, the minute they get close, we're taking them out. We're taking the whole country. We're taking them out. You know, Iraq, read any newspaper. And anyone who knows what they're talking about, say, the minute we leave, Iraq is within a year to two years going to have civil war. It has never been more problematic in the Middle East right now. And all I'm saying is that you look at this verse and then you look at your USA Today and you just have to go, hmm, that's it. Wow. A couple more things, real quick. Famines and earthquakes, verse 7. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. We have a term in the United States of America that the rest of the world does not use. You know what it is? Leftovers. Leftovers. They don't use that term. We're the only people that really use that term. One of the things that Sandy and I have tried to teach our children is that when we serve you food for dinner, you don't have to like it, but you're going to eat it. Now, my children, um, for the most part, my older two have learned that. My youngest one, Julia, is really struggling with this right now. You know, she'll come in, you know, maybe occasionally let them eat in front of the TV, and she'll come back with her plate and go, I don't like this. You know, she had one bite of her chicken nugget or whatever we gave her, a piece of fish. I don't like this. Okay, sweetie, let me take that from you. You know, breakfast will be served tomorrow morning at 7.30 in the morning. Oh, can I get cake? No, you don't get cake. Daddy gets cake. Watch. Mmm, it's delicious. (laughs) I don't have any mercy, right? You don't have to like it, but you do have to eat it. You know what's interesting is it's not just the kids. It's the adults as well. If we're on, oh, I don't eat broccoli. I'm not into tomatoes. You know the United Nations says and have come up with reports that every night 4 billion people go to bed hungry in the world. 4 billion. Every year 41,000 people die because of issues related to malnutrition. They have come out with a report, the United Nations, stating that obviously the world's population is increasing at a rapid rate. But in comparison, the food supply is decreasing at a rapid rate in comparison And within the next decade, we are going to have major, major significant issues in certain parts of the world, primarily parts of the Middle East and parts of Africa. Now, I'm not telling you anything some Bible guy at the seminary came up with. I'm telling you what the United Nations are saying about these issues. What about earthquakes? There's always been earthquakes, David. And the only reason we know about the earthquakes in Haiti and Chile now is because we have TV. But, you know, there's been earthquakes for forever. Hmm, really? 
Look at what the World Almanac has come up with. Major earthquakes on certain Richter scale, they came up with that uh, in the past certain years and periods. From the year 1000 to 1800, there was 21 major earthquakes in the world. From the year 1800 to 1900, just 100 years now, there was 18 major earthquakes. From 1900 to 1950, 50. And in the last 40 to 50 years, from 1950 to 1991, there was more earthquakes, 93, than in the last 1,800 years combined. Now, I told you, I'm not going to get all freaked out on you and tell you what's going to happen, what's going to happen, but you look at that statistic from someone. This is not a Christian statistic or anything. And you look at that, and you have to wonder, is creation beginning to groan for its creator? You, have, you just have to, you have to connect the dots and you have to wonder, are we coming into that last period called the end times? I don't know. Um, let me give you a couple more. Verse 9 says this, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. A time in the world called the Great Tribulation where Christians will be persecuted. I'm just going to tell you, some of you may not know, I have a couple pet peeves. I have a couple of pet peeves when people who aren't handicapped park in a handicapped spot. That drives me crazy. I, I don't like it when churches have a parking spot for the pastor. That drives me crazy. One other thing that drives me crazy, when I hear American Christians talk about being persecuted, I will slap you in the name of Jesus. <laughs> well, you know, I, my kid got teased at school because they're Christian. You know, I, my, I lost my job because I'm a Christian. You know what? This week, people got their heads chopped off because they were Christians in the rest of the world. You aren't being persecuted. You may be being bothered, but you're not being persecuted. Right now, there may be a revival in the rest of the world, but people are dying right now because of their faith. In the thousands. Thousands. The Bible says that it will spread throughout the whole world, and it will be called the Great Tribulation. Now, there's a little bit of uh, d- disagreement on this one issue. It's not a major doctrine. Some Christians believe that Jesus will take all Christ's followers out of the world before the tribulation. That's the term rapture comes from. There are people in our church that believe that. Some of you know Gary Deaver. He's one of the leaders of our church. He believes that. There are other Christians that believe, no, God's going to let us go through the tribulation, the great tribulation. It's going to stink, but we're going to have to go through it. I happen to believe that. Now, I hope Gary Deaver's right, and I'm wrong. I don't want to have to go through it. It, There's some confusion here, and there's some disagreement. All I'm saying is, that's got to happen before Jesus comes back. That we do know for sure. One more thing in the book of Matthew, and then I'm just going to give you a summary. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. In other words, people have to know about Jesus and this book in the entire world. Now, when it says all the world in nations, it doesn't mean countries. It means people groups. So, for example, in China, it doesn't mean just China hears about Jesus. No, it means all the different people groups that are in China have to have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Now, the first 1,600 years since Jesus, this was very hard to do. It was incredibly hard to do. But in the last four to 500 years, a couple things that have happened, and this is happening at a crazy pace. The first was the invention of the printing press. Do you know that we are one of the first generations that actually gets to own their own Bible? The average American family has five Bibles on their, at home, five. That's crazy for Christians from years gone by. We're the first generation that actually owns our own Bible. Bible. 
It's because of what's happened with the printing press and such. And then, in just the last couple years now, you know, do you remember you hearing stories, if you've been in church for a while, missionaries that would smuggle Bibles into Russia? And so, remember these stories? Smuggle Bibles into China? You know why you don't hear any of those stories anymore? Because they don't need to do that. Because thanks to Al Gore, we now have the internet, right? And people in China can now access and find out things about Jesus on their own. Now, they might get in trouble for it, but they're in their home when no one sees them. And then on top of it, now you can carry an entire library of biblical and theological studies on your iPhone. This is happening like crazy quick. Now, I could keep going on and on, and there are some very interesting things. Let me just show you real quickly some of the other things in the Bible. The Antichrist is supposed to appear, 2 Thessalonians 2. Very interesting what the Bible says about that. I'm just going to talk to you about it a little bit in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Mark chapter 13, cataclysmic signs, not sings, my bad, in the sky are going to happen. It'd be interesting if the sky sung. But basically, it's talking about massive um, eclipses that are going to uh, go on for days on end. It talks about s- asteroids basically hitting the earth. Israel becomes a nation. Again, Jeremiah chapter 23, some of you are going, well, isn't it already a nation? Yes, it was, except when Jeremiah was written, it wasn't a nation. And it wasn't a nation for hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds a year. And then, and then 1948 came, and Israel became a nation again. And Bible students all around the world went, check, Jeremiah chapter 23 just got fulfilled major, major historical event. Global visual communication, Revelation chapter 11. This happens throughout the book of Revelation. There are times. Revelation 11 is the story about two witnesses, two Christ followers that are killed during the tribulation. And then it says something like this. And the entire world witnessed it at once. Now, I want you to imagine reading that verse 600 years ago. The entire world witnessed this all at once? How the heck can that be possible? Well, now with cable TV, it's a piece of cake. You can watch it on your phone. And again, the minute this started happening, we start, oh, that's what's happening in Revelation 11. Middle East peace, Daniel chapter 9. It actually talks about a covenant. We've seen President Carter try. We've seen Clinton try. We've seen Bush try. Everybody's trying to get peace. And then it always falls apart. Eventually, the Bible says that someone will be able to broker peace between the state of Israel and the Palestinian people and the Arab nations. And it will be a real peace. And I'm telling you, when that happens, there should be bells going off in your head because it's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. That's what the Bible says. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, rapid world travel. This is very interesting. Just kind of a fun little detail. In Daniel chapter 4, predicting the end times, it says people will go to and fro, back and forth. And the Hebrew language that it uses is language that people will be able to skip from this country to that country. Boom, just like that, really quickly. Now, when Daniel chapter 12 was written, the fastest form of travel was a horse. You couldn't go from this country to that country. Boom, just like that. And people were like, I don't know what's going to happen, but it sounds like that's what's happening in Daniel chapter 12. In fact, people read this passage, tried to figure out and interpret what it means and what's going to happen in the end times. A guy by the name of Isaac Newton said the following, a new mode of travel shall be invented in the last days. Man will be able to travel at a rate of 50 miles an hour. (laughs) The exclamation point is there because when he said that, he was going way out on a limb. 
They're like, this guy's been smoking some good weed or something. What is wrong with this guy? Right? Then Voltaire come around and he said the following. Newton thinks that someday men will travel at 50 miles an hour. The poor daughter. I don't even know what that word means, but it doesn't sound nice. Right? Now, we could go on and on and on. These are some of the signs that should occur before Jesus Christ comes back. Many of them have already happened, right? Uh, at the very least, we see, okay, let's just maybe famines and maybe the gospel and rapid world travel, that's done. Global visual communication, that's done. Israel becomes a nation, that's done. But some of them don't seem to have happened yet. The Antichrist hasn't appeared. Uh, we don't have Middle East peace. You know, a, a false Christ, the way it's explained in Matthew 24, that doesn't seem to happen. So how am I supposed to be prepared for something, David, if not everything has happened yet? In other words, how am I supposed to be prepared for something that really can't happen until all this happens? You following me what I'm talking about here? It's actually you could, it's something we can do. This afternoon, in about 10 minutes, you guys are going to get in your car. Now, question, do you think you're going to get into an accident this afternoon? I don't. I really don't. I've never been in an accident. I've never been in an accident. But you know what? I'm ready. You know why? Because when I get in the car, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to put my seatbelt on. And in my glove box, I've got my insurance papers. Why, why am I doing those things? Because I'm ready just in case there's an accident, right? It's the same thing with the end times. Do I think Jesus can come back this afternoon? Honestly, I don't. I think those, some of those things still have to happen yet. But I'm ready for it. And so should you. If I'm wrong, if he comes back this afternoon, okay, I messed up on some of these. I did the best I could, and so did you. Okay. But we still need to be ready for it. Does that make sense? Let me summarize everything. I want you to be ready but not consumed. That's it. I want you to be ready but not consumed. Matthew 24, 44. You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour that you do not expect it. Like I told you, I've tried to tone it down. I don't want to get all crazy. I want to use, if I give you statistics, I want to know that these statistics are good statistics um, and, and research done. Don't be consumed by it. Live for today. Don't be afraid of what's going to happen in the future. Okay, we're going to have to maybe go through some tough times. And if we do, God's going to give us the strength to go through it, okay? Understand it, but don't be consumed by it. Two ways to be ready. Second Peter chapter 3 is an entire chapter that talks about the end times. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. In other words, why isn't he coming back? He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. What this verse says is this. One of the reasons Jesus didn't come back yesterday is because when he thinks about doing that, he begins to think about everyone who have not yet embraced him as Savior and Lord. That's why. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And if you're here today and you haven't done that, one of the ways that he tries to encourage you and convince you honestly is by saying, just look at all these prophecies that I'm doing. Look at, I mean, Nostradamus got two out of ten right. Two out of ten. And the ones he got right, by the way, were something like this. You know, in the next uh, 500 years, there's going to be a war between a Middle East country and the Western world. Well, heck, I could come up with that. 
These are so stinking specific, the prophecies in the Bible. It's meant to encourage and challenge those of you who have not accepted yet. Believe, believe that this book is supernatural and from God. The point for us, though, is this verse, is make the effort to tell your friends about Jesus. Make the effort to tell your friends about Jesus. Now, the end times. The end times will occur one of two ways. Either when Jesus comes back or when I die. If I do get in a car accident today and my life is taken, my times have come to an end. They've come to an end. And it's the same is true for the friends of yours and mine that don't know Jesus. Make the effort to tell them about Jesus. Don't get into them about all these signs. They don't care about that. Tell them about Jesus. Second verse that I want to share with you. Let's put it up there. Second Peter 3, 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. One of the best ways you prepare and get ready for the end times is you strive to live a holy life. Now, holiness means separate from sin. Joy explained that just two, three weeks ago with one of the songs we were introducing. Holiness is being separate from sin. So, last question, and then I'm going to have you stand and we'll close in prayer. What sin are you a little too close to right now? What sin are you too close to right now? There's something you're doing, there's something you're saying. There are certain attitude about you in certain situations that is not Christ-like. One of the ways you can get ready for the end times, one of the ways you can apply what we're talking about today is you need to separate yourself from sin. That helps you get ready for the end times, okay? Why don't we stand? We'll close in a word of prayer. We're going to keep talking about this the next two, three weeks, so I hope that you'll be back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've taught us today. Thank you for your word that teaches us not only about your son Jesus and what he did for us in the past, but you also give us helpful information about today and how to manage today. And, and you talked to us about this topic this morning. You talked to us about tomorrow, the future, and the end times. Father, I pray that we would have a balanced perspective on this topic. We would not fall into one of those three camps we talked about in the, in the beginning. People that are kind of maybe crazy and off the hook about it and some people that don't want to know about it at all and some people that have been burned because of how we've handled it in the past. Help us be balanced thinkers and wisely look at what your word says. Help us not stretch these verses to mean what they don't mean. But Father, um, as we've looked here at the end, may this motivate us. May it motivate us to share with our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members and our friends that don't know you that there will come an end. There will come an end. And when that end comes, you will divide between those who have trusted you and those who have not. And may that motivate us. Father, may it also be motivating to us that we are to lead holy lives. We are to lead lives that are pleasing to you. Give us the strength to apply that today. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. 
Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.